0: We have Gia Lee on the call, and this is going to be an interesting conversation because Gia uh, manages a, a, well, she's one of the owners of the company that does property and finance marketing um, in this digital age. And um, we were having a nice little chat before we even hit record that uh, went into some of the history of this, but I mean, it's pretty impressive that you started out of your house, making about $500 a month. And now uh, you're essentially an international business. So it's, it's great to hear. I really appreciate your time, Gia.
1: Thank you, JD. I'm really thrilled to be on the podcast. So um, I'm very excited seeing uh, the heavyweight of guests that you've been having on your show.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate your time. This is going to be, like I said, this is going to be an interesting conversation. You have a little specialization, too, regarding your marketing, and we can talk a little bit about the uh, luxury market and the wellness market, but uh, before we start there, I'm always curious because sometimes I find that when it comes to real estate and marketing careers, for example, that's typically an accidental career choice. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> how did how did you find your way into marketing?
1: Well, it's a, it's a combination of measured deliberation plus accidental. So I studied marketing in my undergraduate degree in Australia because that appealed to me. And but being of Asian descent, um, after I graduated, I actually found a job in finance. And um, I stayed in finance for seven years as a dutiful Asian daughter would, working my 60 and 70 hours a week. Um, And then after that, I decided to move into real estate because I understood the the key concepts of like asset um, marketing. And... It was really by accident that then I noticed that when I entered real estate that there was a really big niche and the evolution of digital marketing was just in its infancy and that people people such as buyers and also agents and agencies were understanding the power, the reach, and the potential of digital marketing. Um, and I use some of those key strategies in my um in my business and I was able to excel and then after that I realized that I could potentially monetize that uh, knowledge and then I started my um, digital agency and that was literally five years ago. I started making um, $500 a month in my first month and then I would say now yeah we're pretty excited We've got clients across Australia, Asia, um, Dubai, and now also
0: clients in Europe. Sure. So can you talk a little bit about those type of clients then? You know, we, we touched kind of on a high level that mm-hmm. you have emerging luxury and wellness markets. Um, talk a little bit about that. and How did you happenstance your way to that type of niche when it comes to your marketing? I find that especially interesting.
1: Well, it was a rather uh, it was rather poetic because what was happened what happened was that a particular developer um, outreach made uh, privately messaged us on LinkedIn after seeing all of the content we were creating about marketing, um, and the developer was is Australian and um, so there was a connection there immediately, um, and they actually had a significant development in Thailand. And the concept was actually all around wellness. And they really identified at that particular point that the buyer profile was going to be high net worth uh, individuals, usually expatriates, who had uh, moved from a Western country and desired to have an Desired to live in Asia for wellness and also for their family and for weather reasons. And then what we discovered is that they were willing to pay a premium for this particular project. Um, and it wasn't just about the facilities, but it was about a sense of community and the all of the intangible elements of the actual development that truly helped command a 20% premium compared to all of their competitors in like the 100-kilometre radius. And that truly piqued my curiosity. And then furthermore, as we did some more research into this particular sector, we were staggered to know and to learn that this wellness real estate is actually a $137 billion industry. And the number one market is actually in the U.S., And chomping at your heels is actually China. And then furthermore, if you're thinking this project happened back pre-COVID, just as pre-COVID. So now you imagine with people's heightened sense of um, wellness, healthcare, um, and also just a, a desire now to also integrate their working life and their personal life. Um, that really in the last two years has really got us to develop our niche in this space. And they're now working across with other clients, particularly in the top 5% of Australian luxury property developers. We're starting to see that wellness is a recurring theme and again it does command a higher premium across all of the projects that they're selling and an interesting thing what we also noticed was it wasn't just about having a spa or a sauna it wasn't the tangible elements that the the buyers were willing to pay for it was actually a holistic approach to wellness and luxury and it's becoming no longer segmented but an integrated approach we're talking about um, from location through to the filtration system um, that they decide in uh, across the project, through to the, um, the swimming pool builder, whether or not they're ecological, uh, through to whether they're using mineral filtration system or even a chlorine filtration system. So all of those underlying themes we realised that with developers they needed to market it cohesively and to understand how to deliver it in a way that it was also based on storytelling to appeal to the ultimate buyer.
0: So just to clarify something here quick, do you, mm-hmm. are you marketing to the people that would be using the facilities, you know, like a customer, or are you marketing to uh, investors to raise capital to, to, for these uh, builders or developers?
1: So, we are the first. So, we help the developers generate highly qualified leads to ultimately purchase these apartments or um, villas or residences. And sure. so, and they're obviously- essentially
0: condos and timeshares and those type of things.
1: Correct. So, sure. And interesting, another interesting uh, concept is that the word condo is no longer being used as pop. It's not as popular as it used to be in the '90s. Now they're using, they're calling them residences. They're calling them wellness-inspired communities. Sure. So again, it's the same product, but it's a very different delivery, very different mindset. And we're seeing that emergence. And as we already said, it's a hundred thirty-seven billion-dollar growing industry, and Whilst we're seeing only the luxury developers at the moment um, capitalizing on this because they've got the resources to build out these facilities, um, we're starting to see the mid-tiered developers also trying to integrate elements of these USP into their projects.
0: Sure. So earlier you mentioned that you're trying to develop a sense of community. How do you you know, that's something that I can, I can see any real estate investor or developer trying to achieve that. Can you give us a couple examples of, of a few things that you've done to achieve that level of community as part of your marketing material?
1: Sure, sure. Well, let's take luxury real estate again. You see, typically the Everyone has this idea that the luxury buyer is usually, um, I would say, highly successful. They're already possibly more mature in age. So what we are finding is that the baby boomers, they actually have told us they don't want to live in an exclusive community where it's just baby boomers. They actually want to live in a and a community that has vitality, that has energy, and that is actually usually comprised of a cross-section of, um, of residents so what we would do is that rather than exclusively tapping into the high net worth business owners and we what we would do is that we're also the different configurations that developers actually putting into their projects are appealing across to a cross-section. So you've got super high net worth young families, then you've actually got your... Um, your super high achieving first home buyers. And then you've actually got a mix of your international investors. And then ultimately, you've got your baby boomers. And when you can demonstrate that this community is not exclusive to um, one particular age group, that sense of vibrancy, energy, um, we genuinely see that these types of projects actually fulfill, um, they actually sell out, I would say about 30% faster than specific projects that is age, um, that is age appropriate.
0: Sure. And just uh, so people can follow along or reach out to you and your team. I just wanted to make sure they have your web address. It is au. Make sure to put that AU at the end. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But you also mentioned telling a story um, yes. and, and I'm guessing that's part of the sense of community. And so building on what you just said there, what type of t- story are you typically uh, generating or trying to show people when it when it comes to these properties, when you tell a story, are you starting with telling the story of the developer themselves? Or are you telling a story about the environment? What, what type of story are you trying to lay out?
1: Well, I think we're going to go with a funnel strategy here. Uh, First and foremost, the story, and we find that vision is crucial. The developer has to have a vision that is quite spectacular because I think with that, people, like Simon Sinek, people buy your why. They don't just buy what you do. And historically and with the developers that we work with, the, one, the developers who do have the grand visions often have the resources to fulfil that, right? So having a grand vision that is evocative, that is emotive, that is really crucial, and the way that the vision would integrate with these residents' lives on a higher level. And then we would move into the next part of the story, which is fundamentally about the developer. You see, and we have done a lot of research into this, and we find that um, developers who have already proven track records, uh, their projects obviously sell out quicker because there's already a um, there's already a proven trust embedded within that relationship and they often also do generational business so whether it be there um, so generally you'll find that communities buy from each other so after you move into the developer then the actual story about the the wellness and the facilities and how they will integrate and how they will affect your lifestyle we find that that is the most powerful storyline that you can tell and again it's also about tangibilizing the intangible JD because when you're selling for us when you're selling an off the plan project you're really just selling hope right Mm -hmm. it's you can't do a walk through you know you're really so you're you're selling hope you're selling possibility you're selling an idea of a better tomorrow and that's where we come in and we work with the developers around speaking to them. Is your renders appropriate? Are your fly-throughs evocative? And there is a real art to doing that as well, finding the right um, 3D specialists that can transform the developer's vision. And, again, we have found that the right developers who truly understand on a helicopter level what they're trying to achieve how often the best outcome because they're not trying to maximize profits first they're maximizing the vision first and then when you lead with that passion instinctively your storyline your marketing uh your sales team everyone is in, is congruent
0: sure would you say you know let's let's take it down to a kind of a smaller level. Would you sure. say when it comes to any marketing, uh, whether it's this or you know other real estate marketing that you might've seen, would you say that that might be one of the bigger mistakes is that people haven't taken a moment and defined their vision like you're suggesting?
1: I can only speak with about the developers that we work with and I think it just comes back to the fundamental basics of business, right? Leading with a vision is really crucial and what we're finding is that a lot of this, this when you first go into business, you want to make a profit. You, mm-hmm. That is survival. It's basic, right? And what you do and what happens there is that if you're trying to achieve bottom line from the beginning, without taking any consideration to what the final resident really truly wants i think then you are being extremely short-sighted in what you can truly achieve so in short the the response is yes you if you are not placing the residents needs ahead of your own then you will be severely punished when you go to pre-sales.
0: Sure. No, that, that's really well said. I I I really like how you put it. Um so with with all of that being said, you know, you're you're finding your why, you're you're defining your vision. What you and your team do, I mean, is frankly a great example of why I make the argument that uh it's it's good to find people that have this type of talent and specialization versus us trying to do this some of this stuff ourselves because there there's a there's a lot that is thought about and a lot that goes into this. Where would somebody before they even engage with a team such as yours, what should they have ready and uh, to get things started?
1: I think they really need to know what success looks like JD. Yeah, absolutely I, I wish I could say that look there's a checklist because again coming back to the clients that we work with already, they already know, they already have a grand vision. They already have a team of highly talented designers and architects and feasibility surveyors, um, engineers on their team already. But by the time they get through to us, where we now start um, building that story together, we need to know what success looks like to you, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, if you don't know what success looks like, then we, we're traveling down a journey that has no end. And also, for example, understanding your KPIs is really crucial as well. Obviously, you've got two sides of the same coin. You've got to have the commercial acumen to know what success is. And then you've also got to have the intangible elements. What are you looking for when you're working with a marketing agency like us? and the truth is not every developer will be will connect with our values as well so for example we choose to work in wellness we choose to work with sustainability we choose to work in luxury so so again if if you're coming to us and you want to market three townhouses then your vision of success is very different to a developer that wants to come to us and want to build, and they want to build 300 um, apartments. That is, uh, that is a master-planned wellness-based community. So I think that's really important, and a lot of developers don't take the time to really consider that. And they come to us, and they might have like a um, a marketing budget already. But how can you? How can you have a marketing budget? And expect us to create another Monet,
0: right? No, that's that's interesting, and you know that's that's always some. Frankly, you know, I, I I've spent a lot of time in in various industries, and it's always interesting how people will typically craft. They would set a marketing budget, and then they will mm-hmm. do their marketing within that budget. Versus deciding what marketing needs to occur, and then decide the marketing.
1: That is correct. And furthermore as well, these marketing budgets, they were put in place perhaps 20 years ago. And where you allocate your resources 20 years ago may no longer be relevant now. So if you've allocated $100,000 on print media, the, the chances are if you're looking for a digital entrepreneur, you're not going to find them putting um, advertising on a print version of the Wall Street Journal,
0: right? Yeah, the attention goes somewhere else. Somewhere else over the past ten years, hasn't it?
1: Well, it, it, it has because even in the short space of time that I've really been in business—if you think about, you know, five years compared to ten years, um, or even twenty years—we're already seeing the shift in attention and the shift in um, the balance of power. So in Australia, we traditionally, the multi-listing portals would command the lion's share of the budget Mm -hmm. five years ago. But what we are seeing now is that there is a slow but noticeable shift in the way that people are researching and making key decisions around the projects and the residences that they are choosing to buy and again back let's say 20 30 years ago when my parents bought their homes they would go straight to a real estate agent or they would go to a shopping center and look outside the shop fronts to see what's for sale
0: mm-hmm. right
1: and that was not a very efficient use of resources but now you could physically well you could physically sit in front of your laptop and your desktop and your device and you could be researching 40 50 projects at any given time and yeah. so the question here is how do you make sure that your project engages with your ultimate buyer?
0: Sure. Well, you, could you share a, an example of, of some of the success you've seen with uh, some of your clientele?
1: Sure. So we're currently working on a project in uh, Sydney. It's a master plan community with three stages and all up it's 311 apartments and so we have we are about to launch stage two so with the stage one we can tell you historically that out of the you know out of the sales 60% of the sales have actually all come through off social media or google and then the rest have come through print and multi-listing portals. And even five years ago, 90% of those sales would have come from multi-listing portals. And what we are finding is that their buyers are actually younger and wealthier than they've ever been. These buyers' income already surpassed what their parents were making 20 years ago mm-hmm. because simply through so in order to connect with these buyers, for us we intuitively knew where would they hang out, where would they play and what are they looking for and, in, and we instantly knew and we obviously through um, the census research indicated that they were going to be through social media. That's usually going to be the first place of exposure and then we knew then they would immediately Google your project. And then from there, they would make a decision around making an appointment with the agent through their actual website. And we found that the appointments that we were able to generate on that website were double the engagement of what we were able to produce on the multi listing portals. But I guess coming back to this is that we had a very clear narrative. We communicated with these buyers, because in the particular um, radius of 10 kilometres of that project, we were the most expensive. We were the most expensive per square metre, right? Mm -hmm. So we had to communicate value and we had to create um, and we've always believed that when people buy into a project, it again, it's an aspiration of who they think they are. It's a trophy to tell the world that they have arrived. So creating that narrative, reassuring them that when you make a decision to live in this project, you are part of this exclusive community and you have chosen to be in the top 2% of your peers. So that was critical in getting in achieving that success and I will probably say that's probably why we were able to get double the sales instead of... Um, through social and Google, as opposed to the multi-listing channels.
0: Sure, you know the communicating of the value. That's a that's a big thing. You know, uh, part of my business is that we buy, for example, discounted properties in in our mm-hmm. area, and uh, it it's and we will let's say where there's multiple competitors in the area. It's typically the reason we win uh, a a chunk of ours is because they see the value in working with us, defining that value. I mean, it, it, there is, there's a a ton of power associated with that. If you can help other people see the value.
1: Correct. And, and value is intangible, right? It's intangible. So, you know, we as marketers, we, we have to help them tangibilize the intangible by branding it, by giving it a powerful storyline, by making it Emotive, making it about connection. And again, as well, coming back to this is we understood that the buyers of um, into this project, whilst they were um, they were paying more, but they were also first generation immigrants, meaning that they were the first, likely to be the first generation in their family to be educated, to have finished some um, tertiary education, and they're buying their first property earlier than anyone in their generation ever. Have has done, so creating that projection into owning one of these properties was the key.
0: Sure. So you you know you we've talked about communicating the value and the vision. How do you typically find is your best solution, or do you do a multi facet approach where you're incorporating the written word, video, audio? What what how do you communicate? this and, and, and which is the best bang for the buck, if you will.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, first and foremost, because you are marketing, you know, a luxury product and likely off the prop off the plan, having powerful 3d images and also fly throughs animations is really crucial. And then creating a powerful video that accompanies it, And then the second component is layering it with all of the key emotional benefits of living in this particular community and how it will influence your lifestyle. Those two combined are extremely powerful. And then finally for us, we love words. You know, we spend half of our time crafting the right words to accompany each particular image, each particular video, uh, because with the right words, it's um, it's melody to the eyes. You know, you're creating metaphors in someone's mind when they're reading it. And then so when you've got all of these uh, moving parts together and you distribute it across all these different platforms from your Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, email marketing, your website, um, and even through to elements of print, it's like the perfect orchestra.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you've mentioned Instagram, LinkedIn, a few other things. Have you, when you're dealing with these higher higher earners, are you finding mm-hmm. one social network you kind of lean towards the seeing more benefit than others?
1: I think you have to look at each channel and understand. What that utility is for, and again, establish what success looks like for each channel.
0: Okay.
1: For example, let's take the the granddaddy of all social media, Facebook. We have found Facebook is the is the best place to expose your project to create brand awareness um, as the first touch point in your funnel. The uh, the reach and the impressions is. I believe at this particular point, still the best ROI a property developer can spend on. And then from that point, making sure that your website is basically cinematic. Your website has to be cinematic, it has to be poetic, because from that point, all of your marketing channel, you have to drive traffic back to that particular particular space to convert into an inquiry. And then for us, for example, a website success is dependent on one single thing, two single things. How long are they spending on your site? And are they requesting more information? Mm -hmm. That's it. And so that's how we establish our success. How long are you spending on the site? Are you leaving us your details? And then, for example, the next space we're finding, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is extremely powerful, for example, with clients that might have penthouses. Because, again, with the penthouses, you're looking for the top 1% in the population. So, generally, they would either be the C-level occupations and then being able to target them specifically so we can expose them to your product the first time there. And then, again, they will have awareness. Then they will arrive at your website. And then from there, um, the romance can begin. And then from there, again, we educate our clients. You know, you can't, it's highly unlikely you will convert a million dollar, $2 million property through just one touch point. It is a process of nurture. It's a process of developing the trust. Um, and we work very closely with the sales team as well, Right. So, you know, sales and marketing really go hand in glove together. So working with a sales team, um, understanding the buyer journey and educating them because our goal is whilst we are working in the digital space, our goal is to help the salespeople get appointments. That's it. Because if someone is willing to meet you and if somebody is willing to have an appointment with you, whether it be through Zoom or a coffee, they're committed because attention is so expensive.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, you can you can actually tell a, a lot about how you and your company work because I mean, just some of the words that you were using, you know, romance, cinematic, nurture, storytelling, vision. These are all things that I would expect and and imagine that you would you would be leveraging at a at a higher level. At, in in these type of sales environments.
1: Well, thank you for that compliment JD. I you see I've come from a very strong sales background as well. And what we have often Oh, my apologies for that sorry. Just give me one minute. No problem. My apologies JD. No problem. So, sorry, coming back to what we just said is yeah, coming from a very strong sales background um, we realized that very early on there was a bit of a disconnect between generating the leads and converting the sale. And I think, you know, what we really wanted to do was to add value to our clients' overall success. And to do that, we had to bridge the disconnect. And to do that, it meant that we had to effectively work even closer with the sales team as opposed to just hand- handling them the lead and expecting the conversion.
0: Right. Right. Well, uh, just a reminder everybody head over to elite dot au i'll make sure to have that link in the show notes this has been a great conversation and i have a feeling we could just i could just keep uh, going down rabbit holes here um, so i really appreciate your time yeah and uh, unfortunately we're going to have to wrap this up but before i let you go is there a question you wished i would have asked you here today and she's uh, laughing because I warned her in advance yes. that the question was coming.
1: I think the one question perhaps, yeah, I would have liked it if you had asked uh why I decided to move to Berlin from Australia.
0: Okay. Why did you decide to move to Berlin from Australia? I'm sure it had something to do with the I mean, the cozy lockdowns and everything going on in Australia right now, right?
1: Yes, partially. Well, I think a really big motivation moving to Berlin. From Australia during the peak of COVID. It really is about what you do with your mastermind, JD, is helping people. Um, you, know, you help people find financial freedom uh through property investment. And I was able to move to Berlin again because I made some good decisions when I was much, much younger. That gave me the freedom of choice to make some. Significant changes in my life, mm-hmm. and to be able to put happiness first, and I think, um, yeah, I, that's why Berlin speaks to me.
0: And that could possibly be the the most powerful thing you've said here today. Is is uh, having having that? There's a lot of strength associated with what you just said.
1: Thank you, JD. I um I look back at it and I can't believe it's been a year and a bit, and I remember. I was so scared to tell my clients I was taking my business offshore because I was worried that they wanted to deal with someone who was based in Australia and remarkably not one single client left and a year later remarkably still not we haven't lost a single client.
0: Yeah. It's it's amazing what you will uh, your imagination is far worse than what actually <laughs> occurs isn't it? <laughs>
1: It is, it is. And you know what, my imagination is I truly hope that every single client, um, uh, listener of yours who is a real estate investor is to make some good conscious decisions in the future around the properties that they choose to invest in because they are voting with their vault wallet. Every property they buy it is a representation of what they believe in.
0: Well, I, I can't ask for a better period on this sentence here today. I uh, really appreciate your time Thank again. You. Head over to elite I'll make sure to have those links in the show notes, but I hope you'll consider coming back again sometime. I have a feeling that you and I could talk about a number of things. Any time. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing?